welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. I realise when I, when I preach following Bailey, I just don't have enough superlatives in my sermon. But we've had a good dose of them just now, haven't we, Bailey? Uh, those, those in the, the foyer, you look very comfortable out there. But if you want to move in, there are a few spaces down here at the front, but it's up to you. Well, today's All Saints Day. We, we don't follow the lectionary very much in this church, but you may have heard of All Saints Day, and it's, it's not about saints you might paint. It's about all of us. And it's really saying about those people who are in Christ. And today we want to talk about uh, how we nourish our saintness. And we've actually been doing that for a while, and we've been doing it in the sense of uh, sending us out. So we had the Momentum series a while ago. You'll remember that. We worked our way through the book of Acts, and that was all about the early church, all about the church really finding out who, who they were because it was all new to them. But then being in the world which largely did not know Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's quite similar in a way to our, our community. There's many who... Who don't know? In October, we really tried to engage with contemporary culture so that we can converse with people when we go out. And now, all saints. What we noticed in the book of Acts was some critical things. The first thing was the disciples spent really intense time with Jesus. So they learnt who he was and what he was on about and what his mission was. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit before he left, and that spirit equipped them for the continuing mission. And we find a very similar pattern elsewhere, and we will look at the the Gospel of John today. And I want to start with John 14. You don't need to look this up, but you you may have heard John 14 read at a funeral because it is a, a very comforting chapter. Jesus says, you know, I've prepared a place for you, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will be given to the disciples to teach them everything they need to know. So the Spirit equips them for mission. So it's a great chapter of comfort, but it should not surprise us what the last words are. You see, we're not, we're not called into a holy bubble where it's nice and safe and where we don't engage with the world. The last words are rise Let us be on our way. Christianity is a missional religion. A number of years ago when I was in placement at at Dernicourt Uniting Church and we we had a lovely season of growth there and we realised that our pastoral care systems were not adequate for the size of the church. So I went to speak to the pastor at Clovercrest Baptist Church, which was a much bigger church, and I, I asked him about their pastoral care system. And what he did immediately, which I wasn't expecting, was he gave me some military imagery. He said, pastoral care in the church is like a military field hospital. Yes, yes, it exists to help people to recover from, from their wounds, from their illnesses, but the prime purpose of a military field hospital is to send the soldiers back out again so they can be soldiers. So there's no no sense in which our care becomes the total focus of our lives and removes us from other people. The aim is to heal us, 
to send us back out again. So it's not surprising that such a caring chapter would end with rise, let us be on our way. Now what I want to do today is to build on everything we've had over the last few months and point you to a practice that will nourish you when you're out in the world. And I've chosen John 15, so you might like to turn to that. John 15, we're going to read verses 1 to 11. You can look on your phones or your Bibles or it will also be on the screen. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I, I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Now you can imagine what's going on here. I, I can see Jesus and his disciples walking past a vineyard because everyone had vineyards. They all produced their own wine. And still to this day in lots of those areas around the Mediterranean, every family has a vineyard, often a quite a small vineyard, to produce their own wine. And Jesus, I think, sees this and decides to use it to teach the disciples about their role. Now, the thing is about farmers, do we have many farmers here today? Hard a couple. You can correct me afterwards if you like. But it seems to me that the work that farmers do is very visible. And so neighbours cannot drive by. In fact, they don't drive by without looking over their neighbour's fence to see how their crops are going. They can see the places in the field where the seed are missed, and so there's a gap. They can see if the field lacks nitrogen. They can see if there are diseases. They can see if the crop is really uneven. They can see what sort of farmer is growing that crop. And the same applies to vineyards. You can see the weeds. You can see how they're pruned. You can see if they're diseased. Indeed, I looked up during the week and one of the oldest vines in the world is 400 years old. And so you can imagine you could see in the trunk of that vine the results of the plant husbandry over the life of that vine. It's there for everyone to see. Some of the disciples of Jesus would have already been looking and thinking, I wouldn't have pruned it like that. They would have noticed, they would have known. But Jesus paints the life of disciples. 
Firstly, God is the vine grower. Now, I'm not going to dwell on that other than to point out again just how close Jesus and the Father and then us are. The second thing is that Jesus is the true vine. And why does he say that? Well, I may have mentioned before, but I'll tell you again that the vine was ancient uh, imagery in Israel. And if you look into the Old Testament, you'll find plenty of references to that. And in the temple in Jerusalem was a gigantic vine made of pure gold. It represented Israel. And wealthy citizens could add either a, a tendril, I suppose that's the cheapest thing, or one grape, or a leaf, or a whole bunch of grapes made of pure gold. And Josephus, who was a historian who wrote around those times, said that some of those bunches of grapes were as tall as I am. So you can just imagine the worth of them. And the vine represented the covenant people of Israel. But when you read the Old Testament, you see that generally Israel was chastised for not bearing good fruit. That Israel was chastised because the fruit was bad or sour because Israel did not remain connected to God and did not obey God. Now, the prophets are speaking of a nation and I'm sure there were many people that did do those things. But, so hence Jesus says, I am the true vine because he's like the Father and bears the fruit of love and of justice rather than greed and self-interest, which was what the prophets were tackling in the Old Testament. But we should also notice that this metaphor of the vine is changed. Instead of individuals being seen as vines in the vineyard of Israel, individuals are now seen as branches attached to Jesus. So if you're to be part of the new Israel, you need to be a branch attached to Jesus. The third thing is, in this passage, Jesus says, remain in me. And in our reading today, the word remain or abide in some other translations is used 10 times. Have we got any English teachers here today? We're quite deficient in our church in terms of English teachers. We need to pray some English teachers in. You see, if you wrote an essay in which you used the same word 10 times in two paragraphs, you would get seriously marked down. The reason it happens here, of course, is that word remain or that word abide is central to understanding our role as disciples. And so John repeats and repeats and repeats this word. Let me put it another way. A woman called Sarah Heinrich said, bearing fruit does not create disciples, bearing fruit reveals disciples. I think that's a really helpful, simple insight. No fruit, no disciple. But being a disciple bearing fruit is dependent on abiding in or remaining in Jesus Christ. To be a healthy branch, that you have to have the sap of Jesus Christ. So it has to run. It means you're healthy. It means the join is healthy. It means Jesus is running right through you. And if you don't, you don't have the gift of life to offer to others. But remaining means that our lives are intertwined with Jesus that we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. And this is a mutual, loving relationship. To put it another way, you need an interior experience of Jesus inside of you. 
I don't think you'd ever describe yourself as being in love with someone if you didn't feel something inside. You wouldn't, would you? And it's the same here. We need that intimate relationship that we feel inside because Christ is within us. It's not about information concerning Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. So Mark Elford gave me a book about Captain Cook to read and it's, it's a sizable book and I'm making my way through that. And I, I can tell you that I have some information about Captain Cook. I do not know Captain Cook. And this side of heaven, I never will. Can you hear the difference there? It's not information, it's relationship. I read a book by Bill Johnson a while ago. He's a pastor of Bethany Church. They, they also write a lot of music and so on. But he wrote this, being filled with the Spirit does not point to an experience that we might have had a certain number of years ago. It's not measured by what I contain, but what flows from me. So there's this sense of a, a living relationship that's constantly filled up and overflows. And it's the overflow that brings life to other people. And so in John 7, we read, He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You can hear that sense of overflowing, of aliveness, of giving life to everything around. Now, you know what makes for a healthy human relationship. Your lives are intermingled. You affect each other. You love each other. You miss each other. You spend time together. It's just the same with God. It's just the same with Jesus. John 15 says very simply, remain in my love. Very simple. Once Karl Barth, now if we've got any theologians here today, a couple of theologians, one in the front here. Karl Barth had a very free-flowing pen and his summary of the Christian faith is about this long, massive books, um, and you can read it if you want to. I, I confess I have not read it all. But he was asked once, what is the most profound truth that you've ever discovered? You might be thinking what it is. Well, he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So for all of his learning, I mean, he knew it wasn't about the learning. It was about Jesus and the relationship with Jesus. On a few occasions, we've stayed as a family about um, 30 k's northeast of Hawker on a property called Shaggy Ridge. Uh, Shaggy Ridge is the name of a battlefield in New Guinea during the Second World War. That's where it's got its name from. But it's pretty wild country. It is bush. So salt bush, native pines, river red gums, gums in the dry creeks, no pastures, very few open spaces. And I said to the owner, how do you look after your sheep? Because, of course, you just couldn't even see them. They just disappear. And he said, well, it's all about the water. They do their sheep work in the middle of summer. So they shut off certain troughs and they open up the troughs where the yards are. And the sheep come to the water and then they shut the gate and they do the work they need to to keep them healthy. It's not about fences. It's not about keeping things in or keeping things out. It's about life-giving water. And the sheep are highly motivated to stay close to the water. They need that more than the food, especially in the middle of summer. As Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water 
which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And even as I said that story, those river red gums, I mean, that land can be as barren, as barren, as barren, but in the creek beds you've got tall trees because they can get down into the underground streams. A lot of times, churches want to build fences. Behave like this, don't behave like that. Believe this, don't believe that. Do this and you can belong, do that and you can't. And it's much easier for us to judge others than it is to care and invest in their transformation. And particularly so, and hear this, if our confidence is in the power of sin and its effects instead of the power of God. If we believe the power of God is greater, all we need to do is lead people to God. Don't worry about the fences. Bring them to Jesus and Jesus will deal with the rest. But with an out, without an outpouring of the Spirit, the church becomes more concerned with being contaminated by evil than it is concerned about contaminating the world with righteousness. It's far better to lead people to Jesus and let that life-giving relationship do the work. So remain, remain, remain. Jesus is the vine, but each of us as branches decide whether we stay attached to the vine or not. And it is a choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. And I want to say today, it's a relentless discipline. Day in and day out. The only way to keep that relationship healthy. But if you remain in Jesus, you'll produce fruit that shows what Jesus is like. And if you don't, your life will not point to Jesus. Last point, almost. Remaining in Jesus' love leads to pruning. Now, we don't want those that we know and love to live a mediocre life. We actually want them to have the best life. You know, we only get one shot at it. So we want a vibrant life. We want that for those whom we love. And it's the same with Jesus. And it means that if you're attached to the vine, there's going to be some pruning involved. Some of the things done to the sheep in those yards are not very nice, but it keeps them healthy. And pruning is also painful, but it is the only way to a vibrant, light-filled and life-giving life. And allowing pruning is also a choice of ours. We need to agree to it. It's the only way, as verse 11 says, to complete joy. So let me uh, share this story with you. I read a while ago, Tony Robinson is actually writing the story and he heard a Lutheran pastor named Nadia Bowles-Weber speak. Heard her speak on a radio program called Fresh Air. It's a good name for a radio program. Nadia's a bit different to most, um, most pastors. Her body is covered with tattoos. Mine isn't. <laughs> one of our pastors now has one. I won't say who she is. That cuts it down, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> and Nadia swears like a trooper. And she has the most extraordinary ministry with the most broken people in the world. And they can relate to her. A young guy who was training to be a minister said, Pastor Nadia, what are your ways, what are your spiritual practices that help you get close to God? 
And as is often, often the case with her responses, they're both disturbing and insightful. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to swear. I've picked a... <laughs> I found one passage that didn't have swearing in it. <laughs> she says, why would I want to get close to God? Whenever Jesus gets close to me, I end up having to love someone I hate, give more of my money away, and forgive someone I don't want to forgive. Why would I want to get close to God? Pruning is painful. It's hard to change who we are. But it's the way to abundant life. Now, she does obviously get close to Jesus at least some of the time, even though that's a scary prospect. But the other point she makes is that there's another side to it. <clears throat> and that is that Jesus keeps pursuing her and she can never get away from him. So Tony Robinson also continues, we do often seem to think of Christian faith as our human search for God, our feeble attempt to get close to God. But the Bible tells a different story, one closer to Bowles Vabers, the story of God who keeps showing up, intruding, refusing to leave us alone and searching for us, a God who won't take no for an answer. And Robinson goes on, just when we thought we were safe, in some kind of gated community, nice fences around, keeping out people we don't want, safely in the church. God moves into the neighbourhood and pitches his tent and the pruning begins. There is challenge and pain in pruning. And if we allow God into our lives, we will change. But we'll also be transformed. We actually accept that in most areas of our lives. If we're sports people, we will train until we ache. We will suffer injuries and accept it. If we're a tradesperson or a white collar person, we'll train and we'll learn and we'll do lots of hard work. If we're a musician, we'll spend hours and hours. I mean, someone once said, if you do 10,000 hours, you can become competent in something. That's serious discipline. And if you're a parent, you know, don't you? You invest and you suffer with and you have joy with. But it's hard, but you do it. So I did say it was my last point, but there's one more. It's only a little one. So even Ethan's going up. Remaining and being pruned produces fruit. And the word fruit appears seven times. Once again, you get marked down for that, but it's obviously important. Question I want to leave with you to finish the sermon is, who's the fruit for? Have you ever thought about that in this passage? Who's the fruit for? Have you ever thought about the fact that branches don't live off their own fruit? The fruit's not for the branches. The point of remaining, of abiding, is not to accumulate Christian brownie points, become more humble and more patient and more merciful, etc., so that we can enjoy them and think we're good Christians. The point is to live a Christ-like life for the transformation of the world. The fruit the branches produce is not for the branches. The fruit is for someone else. The fruit spreads the aroma of Christ to whoever will meet. Fruit is for the life of the world. And you know what? 
There's never a shortage. The more you give away, the more there is. Let me pray with you. Jesus, thank you for your love for us and keeping on coming to us even when we're cold or distant or unsure. And today we choose again to join with you and to remain in you. We give you permission to prune, to grow us into the likeness of Christ. And God, grow in us the fruit of the Kingdom of God and show us where you want us to give our fruit away. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.